Well, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast and Teaching Thursdays, an edition of the podcast featuring sermons and lecture series by Kevin Morse. This particular episode is brought to you by my generous supporters at patreon.com. And so if you appreciate this podcast, if you uh, want to help uh, support the show, offset the costs, and even invest in uh, freeing me to be able to pursue uh, some even more helpful uh, curriculum and books and video courses and all the things that I have kind of brewing in the backdrop that I have yet to release, if you want to support that, please just consider go to patreon.com where you can pledge your support and choose from one of uh, three different support tiers, or all three of them if you want to. Uh, And you can also be uh, eligible by doing that um, to gain instant access to anything I release, and you will be the first to know of what's coming down the road as well. And so that is uh, joining my my small but growing uh, group of patrons at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash better Bible reading where you can find out all the information. Well, with that said, uh, today's episode is a uh, special episode because on this edition of Teaching Thursdays, we are going to be talking about the Protestant Reformation. Now, one of the reasons we're talking about the Protestant Reformation is because this Sunday, October 31st, 2021, is Reformation Sunday, and it's also Reformation Day. You thought I was going to say Halloween, but who cares about Halloween? We want to talk about the Protestant Reformation. Uh, 1517, October 31st, Martin Luther nails his 95 theses, and the rest is history. That is typically uh, where we kind of mark the official birth of the Protestant Reformation, because what started as an academic discussion of 95 disputes that Martin Luther had with Roman Catholicism in its formal sense of course, there, at that time, there was no such thing as Roman Catholicism in contrast to Protestants. So it was just the church as it was at the time, uh, trying to present this for academic discussion and hoping for a chance for the church to correct some of its ways of veering far off from what the Bible had to say. Little did Martin Luther know that it would be the birth of the Protestant Reformation, where we now, as beneficiaries of his stand against the corruption of the church uh, can enjoy the kind of Christian assembly that we have as Protestants. And 1517, of course, if you already knew that date, then you know that back in 2017, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. But the Protestant Reformation is not any less important in the year 2021 just because we don't have a a hallmark number like 500 uh, to associate with it, because the Reformation still matters. And it's fascinating when we think about the Reformation as so many issues that we could potentially point to as the main reason why we have different churches. And for most of you in the listening audience living in the United States, like me, Uh, most churches in our country, uh, in addition to Roman Catholicism, which is still certainly here and certainly present in our country, we can associate the Protestant Reformation with the issue of the indulgences that were being sold 
we could associate it with the corruption of the priests. We could associate it with the fact of the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. We could point to so many things, but of course, if you're a Protestant, hopefully you understand that the main issue that all of those uh, kind of act almost as footnotes to, the main issue is the issue of justification. The hallmark doctrine of the Protestant Reformation being sola fide, by faith alone. When we think about the idea of justification, that's what I want to turn our attention to for this episode, is celebrating the fact that the doctrine of justification still matters. One of the reasons it still matters is because it wasn't birthed at the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther didn't invent the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And the reason why that matters is because, as better Bible readers, hopefully, pursuing and striving to be better Bible readers, we realize that men like Martin Luther or John Calvin, who comes after him, or John Knox, or anybody down the line of church history, uh, that the conclusions that these men are coming to, what guides their principle of saying, I cannot stand with Roman Catholicism and what it teaches, or even another denomination, is because it boils down to the issue of what the Bible says. The doctrine of justification by faith alone wouldn't matter if it was merely something that Martin Luther invented because he was bored with the way things were going. The reason it matters is because he comes to this conclusion from what he reads in the Bible. And upon coming to this conclusion, he says, this is the inaugural, or this is the primary source information, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But somewhere along the line, it has been eclipsed. It has been darkened with the practices and with the teaching of the church officially. And so what he says is, we either have to go back to what the Bible says, or we have to stand with what this current tradition of the church says. And if one is at odds with the other, we have to decide which one has the ultimate authority. Is it the church or is it the Bible? Well, for Martin Luther and for all Protestants, it is the Bible. And of course, we know, uh, those of you who are Protestants, you know that the Roman Catholic Church teaches two types of authority, what Scripture says and what tradition or what the Church says. And these can be, uh, living in their own philosophical paradigm here, these can be at odds with each other. We could even say uh, that the Church, as a living and breathing entity, can invent new types of authority and even go beyond what the Bible says. And so you don't have this sola scriptura by the scriptures alone for authority. You have what the scriptures say initially, and then coupled with and even subservient to what tradition, what the church says through the ages. And this is a problem for Protestants, as was what became a problem for Martin Luther, and what initially was going to be a hopefully constructive conversation ended up outcasting him from the church altogether. He was judged a heretic, and he was many times during his life uh, in hiding because he was uh, certainly wanting to be 
uh, murdered by all, all of his enemies. And during the course of his life and through uh, church history, after him, what you see is this uh, assembled commitment to what the Bible says, even if the official church is rejecting it. And so if you have to draw a line in the sand, you draw one with what the Bible says. And if that means having to reform every area of church practice and church doctrine, then so be it, because we have to stand with what the Bible says. Well, that's the general commitment of Protestantism, protesting what the official church at that time, the Roman Catholic Church, had become, what it was saying, and what it was uh, suspicious of, or even antagonistic towards. And that was the idea of people reading the Bible for themselves, uh, the idea that the Pope could be wrong, the idea that the Pope was even uh, questionable in his level of authority, and all of these things, they, they come to a head uh, throughout the course of Martin Luther's life. And, of course, we know uh, that that initial time of Protestantism uh, really gave birth to something way more than just following somebody like Martin Luther. You fast forward 500 plus years, and we have a huge community of Protestants. Now, what's fascinating to me is that initially, to be a Protestant was to be Reformed, because you can't really have one without the other. It was the Protestant Reformation. Now, it's really important here to make sure that we understand our terminology. It wasn't a Protestant Revolution. To the Roman Catholic Church, that's what the Protestants were. They were revolutionaries. They were trying to reinvent the wheel. They were rebels. They were trying to uh, reframe the whole idea of who the church was and what the church believed and, and what church was legitimate and which church wasn't. But the Protestants were saying, no, we're not trying to revolutionize anything. We're trying to reform the church, which means to bring it back to its original context, its, its original conception of, of what the church is and what the church believes. And that's why you see in the writings of Martin Luther, in the writings of John Calvin, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, when they're making their argument for Protestant doctrine, they're of course citing the Bible because they're going back to what the scriptures principally teach because that's our primary source. But they're also pointing back to the church fathers and saying, we are not the ones that are coming up with these new ideas. We're saying the same thing that they were saying generations past. It is you, the Roman Catholic Church, that has gotten way off track. And so you'll see uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, incredibly appreciating men like Augustine, because they're seeing in his writings and in his theology, what the Protestantism teaches in terms of their idea of God's grace and how somebody is justified and what faith is and so on and so forth. So that point is, is really important for us to make because if you talk to anybody who's a Roman Catholic today or Eastern Orthodox, just people who aren't Protestant, then you have to make sure that they don't understand you as somebody like a, like a Mormon who says that the church died long ago and we have risen from the ashes to reinvent everything uh, that went wrong. 
that's not what Protestantism is. It's a reformation, not a revolution. It's a going back to, not a starting from scratch. And so that point is something I can't overstate in terms of how vital it is for us to understand in terms of who we are and for us to make sure that those who disagree with us understand how we understand ourselves. But I mentioned that Protestantism and Reformation originally were synonymous. To be Protestant is to be Reformed, to be Reformed is to be Protestant. But now, in the 21st century, that is no longer the case. It is possible for you to say that you're a Protestant, which should mean and would mean that you are a Lutheran, that you are a Presbyterian. We could even say, this is debatable, that you're Methodist, Baptist, Episcopalian, Anglican, all of these denominations that we have in the United States, uh, that those would be understood as Protestant. Now, that is in the general sense, because in the general sense, we're Protestant in that we are protesting against the Roman Catholic Church. Now, how do you know you're protesting against the Roman Catholic Church? Because you're not part of the Roman Catholic Church. You don't go to Roman Catholic Church. You go to something else. That means you're protesting the quote-unquote official church, as it were, as it, as it is understood. But only a handful of denominations today would call themselves self-consciously Reformed. So you have Presbyterians who certainly call themselves Reformed. You have Reformed Baptists. You have uh, some varieties of Lutheran, although some Lutherans uh, like to say you have Reformed and then you have Lutherans and kind of put each other at, at odds. So it starts to get very complicated and convoluted. And then, fast forward back to the 20th century, you have the advent of the new understanding of what it means to be an evangelical. And so, especially in America, uh, for the duration of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century, I would say it's actually starting to to wean now, but up until this point, uh, you had evangelical as the new favorite uh, terminology for Christians that weren't Roman Catholics. And so then you have the evangelicals, who understood in a broad sense are those who preach the the gospel, those who preach the gospel of faith alone, uh, grace alone through faith alone. But then it turns into evangelicals are just those who are evangelistic. So think of like the Billy Graham types. That would be an evangelical. Then they're distinguished from the Reformed, and then they're distinguished from Protestants in general, and then they're distinguished from those who wouldn't want to take any of those titles. So it starts to get very, very complicated. But I'm saying, at least on this episode, I'm saying that in general, if you're anything other than a Roman Catholic, you should care about the Protestant Reformation because you would be a Roman Catholic were it not for the Protestant Reformation. Now, of course, we don't want to worship the feet of Martin Luther. We don't want to say that he's the reason for who we are and we have our being in him or anything like that. Uh, But we do recognize that the providence of God and even the men who were alive before Martin Luther who were 
killed for their faith, who were killed for their um, desire to preach the gospel um, and to see the corruption of the church, that they were praying and, and earnestly desiring to see true reform take place, um, that all of that is God's hand working uh, towards the, the climax of the life of Martin Luther, who certainly was, by all accounts of his history, not trying to do what he ended up doing. He wasn't trying to be this, this world hero, as it were. But still, even like myself as a Presbyterian, I'm not a Lutheran, I'm uh, self-consciously not a Lutheran, and yet I do have a great respect for Martin Luther. I do have a great respect for his uh, commitment to the Bible and his desire to see truth proclaimed and to correct uh, any falsehood that's being promoted, even if it's being promoted by the most powerful uh, representative of Christianity in the world, and that it was the Pope. So I mentioned all this and, and trying to connect how this relates to the doctrine of justification. Not just an appreciation for Martin Luther the man, not just an appreciation of the idea of Protestantism, or even an appreciation for the Reformation as a whole, but a specific interest, a specific care in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It turns out that before all of the convoluted terminology, to be an evangelical and to be a Protestant was to live or die by that doctrine of justification by faith alone. Let me read for you just one place that we can find this in the Bible. And hopefully, me reading this and articulating it is not going to be anything surprising to you. I really hope it's not something that you haven't heard before. And yet, at the same time, I hope that it is not a doctrine that you take for granted. It is not something that you have grown cold or totally uh, indifferent towards. According to Martin Luther, the doctrine of justification by faith alone was the article and is and always will be the article by which the church stands or falls. The whole idea of the Protestant Reformation uh, came to a climax of this doctrine. Let me read it for us from Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 20. Let's see. I'll just read through the end of the chapter, 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So there's so much being said there, but the important part and the big takeaway is this idea of justification, the idea of righteousness, the idea of Jesus Christ. When we're saying justification by faith alone, we're not simply talking about this somewhere out there theoretical doctrine uh, that has to do with how well we can say things and how precise we understand things, but we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about what faith is. We're talking about why righteousness is required. We're talking about why we need to be justified and how we're justified and what it means to be justified, and we're talking about what Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf. All of those notions if we connect them to the gospel, as Paul does here, and how we can be righteous in God's sight, how we can stand justified rather than condemned because of our sin. If we understand all of that, then we understand how important, how vital this doctrine is. And the reason why this is that foundational doctrine that really makes the whole house of cards fall down for Roman Catholicism is because Roman Catholicism, in its teaching of the seven sacraments, in its teaching of purgatory, in its teaching of the Pope, and that idea of authority, and not being able to have direct access to Christ, but it has to be mediated through the priest and through the Pope, that it spits in the face of the gospel. It spits in the face of what the Bible tells us, of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ what his death accomplished, what his perfect life earned on our behalf, and how sufficient that is for us to be once and for all justified by faith alone. Faith alone in Christ, not faith to begin believing and then works to continue believing, or 50% faith and 50% works built together, or a whole lot of works, but enough faith to know that we're not quite going to have enough, and so that puts us, pushes us through the, the threshold, but rather faith alone. We're justified by faith alone. Paul says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then skipping down, verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, we could go to so many other places throughout the Bible. We could go to Galatians. We could go to what the Old Testament teaches about this Messiah and what he's going to do and how he's going to accomplish this on behalf of his People. We could go to so many places throughout the Bible because this is not this isolated incident of the teaching about justification, but it's 
all over the place in the Bible. And that was the conclusion of Luther and all of his predecessors, um, that this totally changes how we understand the gospel. And it changes what we think about what the Roman Catholic Church is teaching in its formal sense. Well, I'm sad to say, and you probably know this, but through the course of church history, a council was held where the Roman Catholic Church formally condemned the doctrine of justification by faith alone. In condemning Protestantism, uh, they pronounced a judgment of damnation against any who would hold that, saying that that idea, that doctrine of justification by faith alone, makes us damned and puts us outside of the Church, who the Roman Catholic Church believes is only, exclusively, the Church of Rome. And being outside of that Church, you are cut off from any hope of salvation because you have articulated a doctrine that stands in direct contrast to the formal teaching of that Church. So you have two sides to it. You have the Roman Catholic Church who says any Protestant has cut themselves off from the true church. And in so doing, any Protestant church is an illegitimate church because they're articulating this doctrine of justification by faith alone. Whereas the Protestants were saying, in the Roman Catholic Church's condemnation of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, and any who would hold to it, they have devalued and disqualified themselves from being a true church. We have to understand that throughout the course of church history, even to the point of the year 2021, that anathema, that damnation pronounced officially by the Roman Catholic Church has never been rescinded. In the formal teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, all Protestants are condemned. All Protestants believe a false gospel, and all Protestants are outside the hope of salvation unless we return to our mother church. But what's fascinating to me is that there are so many Protestants now who are totally indifferent to the doctrine that originally identified us and set us apart from the Roman Catholic Church. Protestants are okay to be called Protestants in name only. Protestants are okay to be differentiated from the Roman Catholic Church, but have no interest in being Reformed, where the two phrases at one time were synonymous. Even worse, though, some Protestants have no interest in what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, whether or not it's different from what their church teaches as a Protestant church, and even more significantly, no interest in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The doctrine that Luther said is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. 
according to Luther, the foundational disagreement that was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation. The line of separation between Rome and Protestants. That now, Protestants are saying, this doctrine doesn't matter anymore. Simply look at the trend of liberal theology, which really began at the end of the 19th into the 20th century and now has fast-forwarded and overtaken many denominations, many of the mainline denominations, that at one time it was the problem of the Roman Catholic Church and their sacerdotal system of penance and, and their seven sacraments and the process of earning and perhaps then losing your justification and and how to build on your justification and increase it, and then you could never really be sure of it, so then you have purgatory and all of these ins and outs, where the Protestants were saying that it's totally inadequate and totally unbiblical, because we have to be justified, but the justification is a once-for-all justification by faith in Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And then the liberals come by and say, Well, you don't need either of those. It's not an argument of how we're justified. It's now an argument of whether or not we even have to be justified. It doesn't matter if Jesus actually rose from the dead. It doesn't matter if the Bible has errors in it or not. The historical account of the Bible is irrelevant. What matters are the ethics and the social reforms and the spiritual formation in the person. And so, it doesn't matter if Jonah was swallowed by a large fish or not. The story is about compassion. And so you read that, and you have to be more compassionate. And that makes you a more holistic person, and then you can be a better person for the rest of society. And then you won't judge other people. It doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead or if there even was a Jesus because the story is about teaching us to be better people and to be more selfless. This is the idea of liberal theology. That the issue of justification, the issue of heaven and hell, the issue of sinners standing before a holy God and either being justified or being condemned on the issue of righteousness, a righteousness of our own, we read from Romans 3, Paul says, is not enough. Works of the law cannot justify a person. Earlier in chapter 3, which we didn't even read, we see this universal condemnation of mankind. There is none righteous, no one who seeks after God, no one who does what is pleasing in his sight. We're all uh, liable to condemnation. But the righteousness of Christ is fully sufficient. What he has earned on behalf of those whom he has called and whom he has predestined to eternal life, those who trust in him by faith, can stand in full assurance of faith in him for his perfection, for his suffering the judgment of our deserving condemnation, but also earning for us a real and true righteousness that's gifted to us. Justification by faith alone. It's the gospel. If we say that it doesn't matter, we're saying the gospel doesn't matter. If we say that 
as long as you teach some kind of justification, that's all that matters. Then you have to start looking at what kinds of justification are being taught, because Rome has condemned the kind that we teach. And that means that we could never and should never agree with the kind that Rome teaches. But this issue in the more and more globalized our world seems to become, the more and more uh, superficial uh, boundaries that are trying to be erased, uh, the more and more history becomes fuzzy, and the more and more these issues that men and women died over, that men and women suffered being outcasts, suffered seeing the death of their loved ones because they wouldn't recant. Not to paint a morbid picture here, but we must understand the stakes that were uh, at hand in, in the earlier years, and even what continues to go on in countries all across the earth today, but that we don't see because people are standing on this one true gospel, and to say that it doesn't matter anymore to say that it's become irrelevant or we've become so technologically advanced that we realize it was a barbaric disagreement. Uh, that's just nonsense. It's being ignorant of history and it's being ignorant of the unchanging gospel, most important. And so, to encourage you to think about Martin Luther and his life, to think about the benefits that we uh, enjoy uh, the blood, sweat, and tears that we gain from uh, now in 2021 uh, is to not guilt trip you, but to really challenge you. <laughs> Don't think about pumpkins and candy first and foremost for October 31st. At least use it personally as a time to reflect on the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of the good news that we are justified by faith alone and Christ alone. One book that I could really recommend, uh, I don't even know that it's in print anymore, but you can find it, uh, christianbooks.org uh, or anywhere else. Uh, you can probably find it on Amazon, uh, Faith Alone. This book, written by R.C. Sproul, Faith Alone, The Evangelical Doctrine of Justification. Now, R.C. Sproul, uh, the late R.C. Sproul, uh, wrote so many books, and this was really the heartbeat of his uh, ministry, Ligonier Ministries. You can go to Ligonier.org, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R.org. You can find all of his teaching series and videos dedicated to this, uh, but he and Ligonier continues to be today um, an advocate and a voice of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, but this book, Faith Alone, is really a great book because it dives into uh, the contrast between Protestants and Roman Catholics, as well as uh, the modern uh, pursuits uh, to try to blur the lines and the modern pursuits to try to say our differences are really uh, small and not large between Protestants and Roman Catholics. And so let's just forget the whole thing. Let's just forget everything that happened between us historically and move on. Uh, but he argues in this book that uh, to really appreciate the biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone means that we can never say, let's just move on. Because standing fast and standing firm upon the gospel, which is what this 
doctrine articulates uh, means that we can never waver from it. We can never forsake this gospel for a superficial agreement that is fake and is not uh, substantive at all. And so I would encourage you, just get this book and read it, or go onto YouTube and find some videos. Uh, go to Ligonier.org and find some, some videos and articles. There's so much available for us, but the important thing is that you do what you can uh, to really appreciate uh, the historical development of the Protestant Reformation. Hopefully it will make you appreciate the denomination which you belong to. Uh, but it might actually show you that the denomination that you belong to uh, does not live with this explicit dedication to this gospel. And if that's what you find out, then find a new denomination, because it's that important. Well, I hope you enjoy your Halloween, but let's say it the right way. I hope you enjoy uh, your Reformation Day, uh, because that's... uh, what we really should be thinking about for October 31st. But thanks so much for listening, and I appreciate your continued support and your continued uh, ability uh, to share what I'm doing, to uh, financially support it for those of you who are patrons. Um, And most importantly, if you have it on your mind, and if you can, leave a review for this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Uh, over on Google or Spotify, because that really does help this channel uh, become much more findable to people who are searching for this kind of content. Well, thanks so much, and have a great rest of your day.